Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is it time to evacuate soft landing island? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research. Hi, Jim. Hello. How are you, Maggie? I'm doing so well and so happy to have you here on this Friday extended daily briefing. We're going to be here for the hour. So drop your questions in the chat for Jim. We'll get to as many as we can. And if you want to stay for the second half, remember, scan that QR code and come over and join our community. Uh, so, Jim, ooh, a little bit of a tough end of the week here. We had that PCE data drop and the markets just followed suit. Yeah. Um, there's no way to sugarcoat this. The PCE data today that dropped was bad. It was bad. It was Jay Powell's worst nightmare. First of all, it beat in a big way. One of the beats was we were expecting 4.3% on core PCE, and it came in at 4.71. Mm. That's huge. That number is usually kind of boring. It never really beats or misses, and it beat by a big way. Jay Powell's favorite metric, I just tweeted this out a few minutes ago, um, so it's on my Twitter feed, uh, his core PCE less housing services, and this is a metric that the Fed invented a few months ago that he's been focused on, had one of his highest monthly readings ever at 0.58% for the month. You sum all this up, and what it says is, we got to start talking about 50. We got to start talking about the Fed going at least another 100 and maybe going to 6%. And that's what I think you're seeing the cold slap in the face in the markets in the last week or two, and especially today, is we're pivoting towards more rate hikes is what we're pivoting towards, not pivoting towards ending. And that reality is now finally starting to sink in. Yeah, and that's a that's a tough reality. In fact, um, G on our chat just said, need a bourbon for this. <laughs> I, I think that kind of feels about You better right. hurry with that bourbon. It's going to be more expensive next week, according <laughs> to the inflation data. That's right. So so is a 50 basis point hike priced in yet? Uh, about the 33% or so is priced in. But uh, if you look at the way that the market is pricing, it's got basically four hikes priced in over the next three meetings. So one of those meetings, it's kind of looking like it's going to be a 50 basis point hike. And we're looking at by summer, 575, 550 to 575 in the funds rate. And if you look out at the SOFR options and you look at the 94 strikes, which is a 6% interest rate, they've been exploding in open interest. 
So they're even starting to price in. They're not at 50% yet, but they're getting there. A 6% funds rate by, mm. say, the um, by Labor Day. And remember, we're at 450 to 475 right now. So that's 125 basis points more, five more 25 basis point rate hikes. At a time when three weeks ago, the market was thinking there might not be another rate hike. We might be all done with the entire cycle and everybody load up on ARC and here we go with all the tech stocks again. And that is all completely reversed in just the last three weeks. You're, you're so right. I mean, that is a big change in sentiment. So if we look at this, we're talking about the PCE today, but as you pointed out, <coughs> this has been happening in January has you know repeatedly seen these the, the data coming in above expectation. Is January the trend? Is that truly what's happening? Or is there any chance it's an outlier? Do you expect to see this kind of strength carry over to February? Well, yes, and I do expect the strength to carry over into February. Um, by the way, just to say it wasn't an outlier, I think the consensus among some economists and Fed watchers was if Jay Powell could have gone into a time machine one month ahead and was at that, go back to that meeting on February 1st, and he would have told his colleagues, 517,000 on jobs, beat on CPI, 0.58 on core services, less housing, uh, a core PC, less housing services, they would have hiked 50 basis points three yeah. weeks ago. I, I think that the, the market kind of understands that they, the only reason they didn't do it is they didn't see the data that we saw in January. February, there's a highly seasonal factor in weather in the, in the, um, in the winter. February has been unseasonably warm, especially where you are in the Northeast. I think, you know, all the way up New England and stuff is setting new records for the warmest February ever. Construction is going to be higher than normal during the month of February. You know, at least brick and mortar retail sales, people are going to be able to get out of the house. It's not 18 degrees and snowing like we expect in February, most of the time up in the Northern hemispheres. Uh, and so you could actually see some kind of an acceleration primarily because of weather into February as well. There'll be a big debate whether or not it's weather-driven or it's re re organically driven. But the fact is, if you're looking for the data to slow, the weather's not working in your favor right now. And it might, and there's a strong seasonal pattern between the weather and retail sales. So you could see a big spurt in retail sales as well. Wow. And University of Michigan consumer sentiment was also a little bit higher than expected today. So is your sense that this is demand driven, what we're seeing, It's it, or is it supply issues that I'm not saying supply chain disruptions or transit or anything like that, but is this is this supply driven or is this demand or both? I think it's more demand. I think it's more, you know, Torsten Slock's new favorite term that we're all using, no landing. Uh, is what that is. No landing is there's going to be no recession. There's going to be no slowdown. We're just going to continue to sail along with the economy. And what we're seeing with a lot of the data is something consistent with a no landing. Uh, and so you're seeing, you know, demand, um, even used car prices are starting to move back up. Remember, I'm old enough to remember last year when used car prices was like the metric that was telling you inflation was going to peak because they were falling and that meant it was all over with. And now all of a sudden everybody went radio silent on that data because used car prices are turning back north in a big way. Uh, they're trying to, you know, you know, uh, shrug that off as being weather driven. But used car sales are not weather-driven. Uh, people buy as many cars in January as they do in July. 
Um, so it doesn't really be affected by weather. That is all demand driven is what that is. And that is all part of that no landing scenario. Or as I like to say, the problem with the economy right now is there is no problem with the economy. And that means that this inflation data that we're seeing is worrisome to the Fed. And the Fed feels like they're not even at sufficiently restrictive, that they're not even at a point where you would say that they've raised rates enough that they've broken something or damaged the economy and that they're looking that they're going to have to keep going from here. Uh, that is a really sobering. So we asked the question. Yeah, I'm going to get everybody drinking bourbon here today. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 <laughs> bartender, um, we yeah. asked the question at the top because we saw you retweeted. There was you know some stuff going around Twitter about soft soft landing island being the most crowded island in the world. Um, and we asked, is it time to evacuate? Are people moving away from that scenario? And if so, are they all running toward no landing? Because clearly the Fed is going to make sure that that doesn't happen, right? Yes, I think that they are leaving soft landing island. Um, you know, to quote the tragically hip, it's stinking and I got to get out of here. And so they got to they've got to leave as quickly as they can. And I think they are going to no landing scenario. And what no landing scenario means, of course, is there is no backing off on the inflation data. And that that is because really everything starts with the inflation data. And I had been an advocate, you know, going back almost a year now that said, look, somewhere in 2022, in the middle of the year, inflation data is going to peak. And everybody's going to make a big deal about that. And I always said that that's going to be actually not that important. Uh, you know, it, it's going to peak because we're not going to stay at 9% forever. And it did. And I said, well, what is more important is, is it going to get all the way back to two on its own without a collapse in the economy to push it down to two? And more and more now people are leaving soft landing island saying, because, no, it's not getting back to two. And then when we get to the second half of the year, we could even start to see the inflation rate accelerate back up again because the base effects that we like to talk about were dropping off 0.7 for February's data, 1% for March's data. So if those monthly numbers coming below that, the year over year number continues to go down. By the time you get to July, you're dropping off zero and you're dropping off 0.2. And then all of a sudden, if you get a 0.3 or 0.4 there, you start pushing the data back up. So I think really the whole idea with no landing is no backing off of inflation, no 2% inflation. Mm. And like I said, Jay Paul and his colleagues are going to look around and go, you know what? We raised rates 500 basis points and everybody has been calling for a recession. Remember, Bloomberg had a 100% chance that we were going to have a recession because, you know, what was predicated on that? Well, the Fed raised rates 500 basis points. That's got to hurt, right? Mm. Jay and his friends are going to say no. 500 basis points isn't done anything. So maybe we just got to go another 100 and then see if it does something. And if it doesn't do that, we still might not stop. And that is the problem with leaving Soft Landing Island. Because if you leave it, what you're also, you're also doing is you're also saying that the inflation problem is going to persist. Yeah, that is a, that's a difficult scenario. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, just going to pause this conversation for one second and address the fact that um, there are lots of issues. We see we see what you're saying. There, are, Jim and I used to each other, but some people are having technical issues. There's buffering and all sorts of stuff going on. We apologize for that. Um, you can be sure the folks in the background are working hard to figure out what's going on. Um, there's new systems that were put in place, so I'm sure it has something to do with that. Um, it's Janet so, Yellen. She doesn't want this message. Out. <laughs> exactly. We're being censored, <laughs> um, but we will, we, we will work on that. Um, so bear with us. Um, so Jim, why, why is, or why are we seeing a situation where all of this tightening so far? And remember, they're not just raising rates. They are doing QT. I mean, they're doing a, mm -hmm. a compared to the balance sheet, the, the amount you might argue is small, but why isn't it working yet? I mean, it's just maybe too obvious a question, but what's going on? Why isn't it working? Yeah, no, the, no, it's a very good question, and it drives at the heart of everything right now. I like to use the fancy term, this is a post-COVID economy. All right, what does that mean? What that means is, you, you know, a corollary to that is you've heard everybody say, boy, this is uncertain, and it's confounding the economy, and it's not behaving like we should. yes. Because all the rules from 2019 and before on how the economy is supposed to behave and how labor is supposed to react to certain inputs don't apply anymore. We did something extraordinary in 2022, which is going to define the economy for the rest of our life. We shut it down, the global economy, and then we restarted it. And on that restart, it is not the same. Now, I'm not saying it's dystopian. I'm not saying it's worse. I'm saying it's a banana. It's no longer an orange. And quit waiting for an orange when you've got a banana. So, you know, they're kind of equal to each other, but they're different. So this economy is a much different economy than we've seen before. Case in point, in the 1880s, we had a bunch, we had the rise of unionization and we had the call for an eight-hour workday, five-day work week. And that culminated, actually, I'm from Chicago at the Haymarket Square riots, which are celebrated as the May Day celebration, when we finally instituted eight hours a day, five days a week as the workday. That was the case for 150 years. And we did something extraordinary in 2020. We pretty much ended that. We now have remote work. We now have a different type of work. That is just one of many things that says that is, an un, that is a tectonic change in the economy. So what we're seeing in the economy, we have to start with, forget waiting for it in 2019 to return. It's not going to return. Start understanding this new economy. And I've argued this new economy comes with a lot of imbalances. And those imbalances are leading to persistently high inflation. And we have that. It's being understood to be that. And we're going to continue with that until we restructure for the post-COVID economy, which will take time and which will take money in order to restructure that economy. Once we get past all that, 
Then we could start talking about a return to 2% inflation and kind of something that looks more like 2019. But this is many, many years in the making, and this is a tectonic shift. Instead of understanding that that's what we should be doing, and I've said this before on this venue, we argue whether or not that's indeed the case at all. Stephen Ross, who owns Related, is still out there saying, oh, everybody's going to come back to Hudson Yards just like it was 2018. And he owns the Miami Dolphins. They're going to make the playoffs too. Yeah, everybody can wish for, you know, fantasies and stuff. But that's going to not be the case as we go forward. I think we need to understand this is a much different economy. And with it, we've got imbalances. One of them was the supply chain. That is sort of been resolved, but that's only about 20% of inflation. 80% of inflation is non-durables, which mostly comes from the U.S., isn't supply chain driven, and 60% of inflation, or that's 20% of inflation as well, and 60% of inflation is services. And services are now starting to show imbalances. And at the same time, goods, which was the supply chain, might be bottoming. This economy is very different. And that's why I've also pushed back about the Fed saying, well, we're data dependent. We're watching the data. You're watching the data with 2019 in mind, and you're going to constantly get it wrong until you start to rework your models for a post-COVID economy. And so many people are not ready to do that because they ask me the difficult question. Okay, what is it? Give me the new rules of the road. I don't know what the new rules of the road is. I just know the 2019 rules of the road are not the ones that are working. And I wish I could give you a better answer, but I also know pretending that 2019 is going to return isn't the right answer right now. That's the answer that everybody's waiting for, and that's why they constantly get tripped up over the last year and a half with what's going on with the economy. I think those are great points, Jim. I think we feel that, right? I mean, look at us. Mm-hmm. We're talking to each other from home, as some of our viewers have pointed out. So we, you know, we we all see this. I mean, Amazon workers are pushing back about uh, in terms of going back to the office. We see it all around us. Um, and we're coming out of, by the way, the great experiment of QE, in addition to now post-COVID. So, you know, all, right. it's hard to imagine any of the old models work very well. Um can I just jump in? Your point yes. there is an excellent one too, right? One of the pre, pre-COVID things was also zero interest rates. Mm-hmm. And zero interest rates put a whole different set of incentives and a whole different set of valuations on financial markets that no longer apply. And so we need to start to understand this is not a zero interest rate QE world anymore. And the biggest change in that is the bond market, right? The bond market's total return in 2022 was the worst ever recorded. And the bond market so far this year is not doing a whole lot better um, right now. And so that also needs to be understood too. Well, the stock, you know, this whole idea that we're going to have a recession in the first half of the year, the Fed's going to panic, they're going to cut rates to zero. That's the 2019 model. That's the 2019 model. Please come back to 0% interest rates. Well, if you give me 1% inflation for a year, then maybe we could talk about going back to zero on interest rates. But instead, you're giving me half a percent inflation a month, which is what we just found out today with PCE. You're not going to get anywhere near zero. In fact, you're not even going to even see four and a half hold at the rate we're going right now that interest rates are going to continue to go higher. The two-year note today, by the way, hit one above 480, 4.8%. And that's a new 16-year high. So it's made its new high for the cycle today. 
So it is not showing any signs of slowing down either. Wow, a 16-year high. I mean, that's incredible. We have, uh, you you talked about sort of repricing for that reality. We're, we're going to dive in depth a little bit in, in, of bonds in the second half um, and credit risk. But in terms of stocks, what kind of repricing are we talking about there? Because yes, we have a sell-off today, but it's still very orderly. It's 2%. Uh, 925 asking, how bad could that get? Well, I think, you know, I want to dust off an old concept uh, and apply it. And other people have done this, too. And that's the duration of a stock, a growth stock, something that's in the NASDAQ 100, something ARK would buy. Um, those big growth stocks don't make a lot of money now, or maybe they even lose money now. But in 10 years, we expect them to make tons of money. Think Tesla, think Zoom, think, you know, th those kind of stocks. And so when interest rates go up, that huge amount of money we expect because of their growth rate in 10 years, discounted back, is worth a lot less. And that's why when interest rates go up, you see that these high growth stocks dominated by technology are getting crushed. Now, if you go to the other side of the equation, the low duration stocks, those are companies that are making money today. They don't care too much about how much growth they're going to have. That'd be an energy company, an industrial, a consumer non-cyclical company um, would be in there too, maybe a basic materials company. Those companies on a relative scale are doing better. Now, not in the first month of the year, January and into early February, because we were all on soft landing island. We were all on this idea that the Fed was going to stop raising rates and pivot, and that was going to benefit those long duration companies. And we zoomed up I think ARC had its best month in January in history. It was up like 25% or something. And now we're starting to deflate that because we're starting to realize all of that talk about rising interest rates or falling interest rates is giving way to rising interest rates. So that's why when it comes to the stock market, this is bad news for the growth companies. So if you want to trade out of you know anything that's in the non-profitable tech sector and you want to buy Procter & Gamble, you know, that's probably a good trade, but a lot of people don't want to do that trade because it sounds boring. Well, you know, you can make money or you can have excitement, but it seems like you can't have both right now in this in this market. And you're going to have to pick which one you'd rather have. And unfortunately, people would rather have excitement and trade zero DTE options than actually trade the companies that are making money today and, uh, you know, and see them go up. And the last thought for you on this, you could see this starting to filter into the technology companies because investors are, are, are tapping the Amazons and tapping the Teslas on the shoulder and say, I need you to start making money this quarter, this quarter. I don't need you to give me a story about how great 2026 is going to be. I need you to make money now. And the only way they can start making money now is let's just let's just fire 20,000 people. Mm -hmm. Or if we're the case of Twitter, let's get rid of two thirds of the staff. Uh, and so you're seeing these mass layoffs because they have to get the profitability ASAP. They no longer have the luxury of overhiring, having way too many people. If you ever watched the show on HBO, Silicon Valley, you know, putting all the dead weight up on the roof where they barbecue all day long because we don't know what to do with them. Gotta get rid of all those people because we need to make money now. That's new for a lot of these tech companies. They've never been under profitability pressure until now. And that's because the environment is changing. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
Yeah. So can, I mean, we had a lot of people talking about that rotation to value or defense, or I like calling it low duration. I, I think that it encapsulates a lot more. That was supposed to happen. And then people anticipating that, as you said, didn't really pan out in January. Can that, can the market hold up if you just see a rotation or if we're in this environment, does it push the whole thing down? Do we see the S&P retest those lows, maybe go below them? I mean, how bad could it get? Well, first of all, that rotation did work for most of 22. It stopped working in January as we got all excited about pivot and ending of rate cuts. And now I think we're going to rotate back to it. Um, the problem, the last I looked at the market, if you look at this year, uh, over half of the gains in the S&P has been, and I've tweeted this out a couple of times over the last few weeks, have been from eight stocks, the FANG stocks plus Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Tesla. Those eight companies are over half the gain in the stock market. The other half of the, or less than half the gain, about 40% of the gain, is the other 492 companies in the S&P. So yeah, if you're going to rotate out of those companies, those 492, they've really done a whole lot of nothing this year. They're just barely above zero. Um, and all the gain that you see in the S&P is what's left of those eight companies that rallied huge in January, which have been giving it back in February. Now, if we go forward from here and the Fed continues to raise rates, those 492 companies might, you know, hover around zero or go down a little bit. But those eight companies, and by the way, those eight companies are 25% of the S&P 500, just eight companies. Uh, those eight companies could really, you know, start looking like they did in 22. And that could drag the whole index down all over again. That could really kill the triple Qs uh, like it did last year um, as well. And it would be the same story as last year. Higher rates. 10 years out profitability is worth less when you discount it, you know, net present value discounted back on a higher rate environment. So it's the same story all over again. So yeah, if you're in those 492 companies, you'll probably be okay, maybe suffer a little bit, but not anything deleterious. But if you still want to hang out there, you know, in the in the Teslas and the NVIDIAs and the rest of the fangs, and the interest rates go up, inflation stays a problem. They're, they're going to take it out on you unmercifully. I think that that's really the environment. Where am I wrong? If interest rates don't go up mm -hmm. at this point, if they wind up you know, peaking here, but the only way I could see them peaking here is some serious signs that the economy is slowing and or inflation is slowing. Problem is the data we're getting says the opposite of that right now. We haven't seen any serious signs of any slowing. We've seen serious signs of acceleration, if anything else. Yeah. And there's another, I want to bring up another point of something that um, I, I had the chance to sit down with Mike Green for our podcast, My Life in Four Trades this week, had a fantastic conversation. And he warned about some other short-term factors, which he thinks have been disguising some of the danger or peril for the market. Let's have a listen, uh, listen to that clip and we'll talk on the other side. It can be stopped if they move fast enough, right? I think that's they been being the a Fed. big... They being regulators, the Fed, risk takers, et cetera, right? Um, you know, th this cycle is going to be a very interesting one, right? Um, there's the classic don't fight the Fed. Obviously, that has been thrown out the window in the past couple of months. Um, as people have generally adopted a liquidity-driven model, right? They're looking at the TGA being drawn down as the, the U.S. government tries to avoid 
uh, a debt ceiling issue. You're looking at the Bank of Japan providing liquidity. You've seen the Bank of England provide some liquidity, et cetera. The Bank of China on the reopening dynamics has actually encouraged credit creation. So people are very focused on the liquidity dynamics. I think the real challenge that I would highlight on this model as it exists right now is all of those are very temporary. China can't continue to print in the way that it did in the 2009 environment. It's a much more uh, constrained, constrained system. Uh, we're already seeing the Bank of Japan be forced to accept and, and deal with potentially higher interest rates. In the United States, the TGA is eventually going to be drawn down, right? I mean, just so people fully understand what's happening. It's the equivalent of me saying, well, I can't touch my credit lines, so I'm just going to draw down the cash in my checking account, right? Mm. feels like everything's totally normal. And in economic terms, I'm just not sterilizing the cash that I'm contributing into the economy. Behaviorally, that leads people to conclude things must be better. And as prices are going higher, we're seeing the short covering and everything else. This looks a lot like the aftermath of the 2001 terrorist events, right, where you had that very strong rally in the aftermath of it in which everything basically moved as we headed towards the recession that everybody thought at that point wasn't coming. Uh, and that, again, fantastic conversation. You can see the whole interview is dropping on Monday. Uh, you can scan the QR code in order to get that. Um, but I know a lot of people follow Mike and a lot of you, our viewers, listen to him when he's on RV. Uh, great mind. And it's really fun to figure out, sort of hear about how he got started and his thinking behind some of his best and worst trades. So I know you're going to like it. Um, Jim, that is an interesting concept that we've heard about liquidity. Yeah, it definitely is. I look forward to talking about it in the second half. Uh, Mikey, you're right. He's a, he's a great mind. And if you're not following Professor Plum, you should be following Professor Plum. He's got brilliant and very insightful things to say. And I'll just make a quick comment about, look, Mike is dressed like me. I'm in Chicago and it's 25 degrees and he's in Marin County. So I guess it must be 55 degrees, which is why he's dressed like everybody's dressed in Chicago. The, it, if the Northeast is making warm record temperatures, somewhere, you know, weather cyclical, it's got to be cold. So I guess we found out where it's cold. It's cold in Marin County. That's, that, exactly, that's another takeaway from that. That's exactly right, which which Mike's not long for. He, he dropped some news on uh, on his geography, his future geography as well. So tune in and, and, and listen for that. Um, well, you better you, buy a Canadian down coat if you can't handle <laughs> 55 degrees. Exactly. I can tell you he's not moving to, uh, to the... Um, Michigan or Wisconsin, we're in Minnesota where they're having a lot of cold weather. Um, mm -hmm. So I want to ask you before we wrap up this first half about um, ODTE, ODTE DGENs, Pablo is saying, but we, we keep hearing that all the time and I'm getting mixed comments about whether this is really an issue or not, or you think it's having an impact on the market. How are you thinking about this phenomenon? Depends on who you are. Yes. Zero Days to expiration, zero DTE. Now, just for everybody to know, what happened is in 2010, they brought up Friday-only options. So that was, you had zero DTE, zero days expiration once a week, every Friday. Before that, it was once a month. Uh, then uh, a couple of years later, they, they brought up options on Monday and Wednesday. So then you had zero DTE three days a week. This past fall, I think September-ish or so, maybe um, somewhere in that range, they added Tuesday and Thursday. So now you have zero DTE options every day of the week. And right now, zero DTE options that expire that day 
are, are something like half of all volume. Options that expire within a week are like 70 to 80% of all volume that trades. So everybody's gone very, very short term in the trading of options. So that's a new in the last three or four months. That's a little bit of the backdrop. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.